Father, I thank you so much for uh, your word, and I thank you uh, that you have revealed yourself uh, to us in it. We ask, God, that you would um, just bless this time, that we would uh, find your word accessible, and um, and we would know how to approach it and how you have approached us uh, through it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, this is uh, part three in a, in a four-part series on how to uh, read the Bible effectively, and, and I hope that um, if you haven't been here before, I hope that you don't feel like you have uh, that you can't sort of jump jump right in. This is going to be a, a class today on uh, the law, and and it's called law and legacy, or, or really the history, the legacy of the Hebrew people. Um, and I, but I want to say a couple things first. Uh, one is we've said a couple times you may have seen on uh, the website that uh, we're going to be doing a blog, um, and that is going to be a, we're going to. Uh, Andrew and I, and then some other folks, some other teachers, um, uh, Deborah Layton, and then um, Mark Genelad, and just some other folks that you familiar names, um, teachers around the Advent are gonna. We're gonna blog through the Bible in a year, and we're not gonna hit every passage or every verse by any means. But uh, we're gonna post four times a week. There will be a reading plan. In fact, I meant to bring that and show you. Um, we're gonna, it's gonna print it up. It's gonna be real, really nice and. Uh, I think pretty easy to follow. Just set that backpack anywhere, buddy. Um, and uh, and uh, just really grateful to you guys who got several of my hikers here. Good job. And for you who are not dressed up, we sure would like for you to, to join us uh, in October. Um, the uh, but the blog is, is something that we just you know have been praying about. How, you know, Christian ed and and spiritual growth and at, at the Advent and um, and also being a resource to other other parishes and other people and. Uh, what can we do? And this just seemed like a really good good fit, and um, and it seems like a little more work than I thought it was going to be, but it's gonna it's really um, it's coming together in a really neat way. And we've already got pretty much all of September is ready to get put up, and hey, and then um, and we're just really really excited about it. So, is Bible in a year? That's not a law. I mean, sometimes it's taken me. It usually takes me more than a year. Uh, I think I've been through the Bible three or four times, and I've made it in a, inside a year once. Um, but uh, it's just a, it's not a law, it's just a, a guide man, to kind of make it manageable. So I hope that you will join us in that. But but the reason we're doing this is because sometimes when you read the Bible, it's just hard to, it, it, it's there's distance between us and, and that time, and especially the Old Testament. And you think, well, God, I like the Jesus part. And, um, um, so I don't really get the, uh, the, the Old Testament. Um I first wanted to just say, what what role does the Holy Spirit play? Uh, what role does the Holy Spirit play in um, in the writing of the Bible? Uh, what role does the Holy Spirit play now in the reading uh, of the Bible? Second Timothy three sixteen. You guys, do y'all know that verse? Um, Paul is writing to to Timothy and is encouraging um, scripture reading, mm-hmm. and he writes to Timothy that all scripture is Theopneustos, that is God breathed, um, breathed out by God. That's a good one of those good 316 passages. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. It is. it is all scripture is breathed out by God and yet is written by men. Paul does not write like Ezekiel. 
and John does not write like David in the Psalms, um, their own personalities shine through. That you know, it's it's amazing. Like God revealed Himself through people in a particular time and place, and He revealed Himself in the idiom, in the in the sort of language, in the setting of of those people. And um, and that was great. It's great for them. It's great for us. Except for now, we're we're not in that time and place, and so there's some there's some difficulty there. Uh, their own personalities shine through. Uh, it was not as if they were writing and they could have just taken their hand off the quill and it would have kept going. You know, but the whole spirit. It, it was not like that. It was not like a microphone. They were writing. They were u- engaging their minds. They were probably scratching out and 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 rewriting. And and yet, the Holy Spirit governed the writing of the word in all circumstances it is if you think about what the bible is it was written over the course of a couple of thousand years by dozens of different authors and yet it follows one arching overarching story of god's redemptive history it is a remarkable uh, miracle really uh, if we stop and think about it what it is um, as we interpret uh, so that's that's that is um, inspiration. How how was it written? It was written under the governing of the Spirit through the personalities of the authors. Uh, as we read it, the the Spirit and the Word work together, and they're never set against one another. If anyone says, "Well, the Spirit is doing a new thing," and that new thing defies what Scripture says, then you can be sure that they are mistaken. They may be very sincere, but they are sincerely wrong. And so, um, the Spirit and the Word are not set against one another. Um, the Spirit does not add new meaning to the biblical text. Uh, instead, it helps believers understand and apply the meaning uh, that is already there. Now, as a Christian, how can I expect the Holy Spirit to work uh, as I read the Bible? You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. Having the Holy Spirit, when you read the Bible, does not mean that the Holy Spirit is all you need. Um, you, you've got baggage. You have a lens through which you are viewing things. Just as the Holy Spirit uh, worked, even though the, the minds and the, the hearts of the authors were engaged, so your heart and your mind is engaged. And you're going to read things, and I'm going to read things uh, imperfectly sometimes. We have baggage. And yet, um, the Spirit does expect us, I think, to, to use our minds, to, um, to use, you know, to learn about proper interpretive methods, things like that. A good um, good study helps. A, 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 a scholar, an author named Roy Zuck, he said this. He said, uh, in, author, in the authoring of the Bible, the Holy Spirit was at work, but so were the human authors. It works the same way in reading and interpreting the Bible. The Holy Spirit is at work, but so is the human reader. So our goal is not new interpretation. Our goal is orthodox interpretation. Uh, that's what we're looking for. Um, the Spirit is the one who gives us ears to hear. I don't know if you ever like read the Bible and thought, well, I just don't know what in the world this means. And then you came to Christ, like then, and you thought, wow, this 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 is different, or uh, this makes more sense now, or um, or you've read a passage a, a hundred times and and then you read it again and there's just there's this new meaning that that sort of that it pops up. It's not it's not new to the text. It's not outside the bounds of the church, but it's new for you. Something that you haven't noticed there, because the Word of God is living and active. The Spirit gives us uh, ears to hear, and your life changes, you know, just through the course of your life. And so, how you apply the text, the meaning stays the same, but how you apply it is going to is going to change. Um, 
spiritual maturity is uh, is measured in in one. I mean, I don't say this quantifiably, but uh, one's willingness to humbly submit to the text, and and the um, the Spirit gives us the will often to submit to the text, and especially we know that the Spirit is at work, and we are willing to submit to the text even when we don't like what it says. And that that's a that can be a hard that can be a hard pull sometimes. But I just wanted to sort of touch on that. Any any, uh, any questions about? And I'm sure there are um, questions about the Holy Spirit and how we read and our interaction with the Spirit as we read as we read the text. Comments or observations. I have one. You know, mm-hmm. for all of us in reading the Bible, we think this is kind of boring. But years ago, I was taught, or I heard somebody say, so this is what teaching is all about, that before you read, to invite the Holy Spirit to be your teacher, mm-hmm. and then begin to read the Bible. And I found over the years, it's amazing that no matter where I open the Word, mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit makes the Word come alive. Right. But I suggest everybody to invite him every time you open the book. Mm-hmm. Well, He's my teacher. Yeah, you know. I think that's a good, a very good practice. In fact, and that we're putting together a little thing for the blog and about this blog. And um, one of the things we say is, is we encourage you to pray ahead of time. And um, so that's 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 really good. The, it's not magic, and yet it's it's spiritual. I mean, it's kind of heart. Um, so I want to talk about the uh, first. I, I want to just commend this book if, in your spare time. Um, this is a very, very accessible book. If you ever think, I just want something on my shelf just to have as a resource. You don't have to go through and read the whole thing in, uh, like you read a novel. There's, if you're getting ready to read, um, you think, well, I'm going to do, my small group's going to do a study on the Psalms. You can c- come in here and look at the Psalms and just read the chapter on the Psalms and just give you a little overview. It's very accessible. Um, just a good tool, just interpretation. We do have in our bookstore. It's called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. And um, How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth. Um, Gordon Fee, Douglas Stewart. Uh, it's in its third edition. And I got this about 10 years ago. And it's over half a million sold then. There's, it's very accessible. So, um, good stuff. Okay. The law and the legacy, the, the law and the history. The, the question is, how do we read the Old Testament scriptures as Christians? How, you, sometimes you might even ask, why do, we, why do we read the Old Testament as Christians? Let me ask you, what has been your experience with the Old Testament? As you've read it. Go ahead. Sometimes I struggle with it. Yeah. Because it's difficult to read mm-hmm. and understand what's being said, mm-hmm. and then there are times when I open it and read it that it's just very clear. Mm-hmm. So I can find both. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Mm-hmm. That's right. Good. What else? I get lost in the names and the, this is a son of this person and this is a son of this person. I, Oh, that's fascinating. Really? You get you bogged down in that? Oh. <laughs> 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 I just, yeah. I'm not going to understand. Yeah, just, just yep. absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, we, thankfully, authors don't feel the need to do that much anymore. Um, uh, yeah. Um, 
listen, the river is wider with the Old Testament. So we've used this in, in class in the past. So you've got you got you got Bible times, and then you got our times with a little headphones and iPhone. <laughs> and, and and there is there is a a river like for the New Testament. There's this there's this river between us, but with the Old Testament, golly, I mean it's it's it, this is wide. It gets it gets wider. What are some of the things that and, and it's our job? Is to, it's across the bridge. So it's a smaller bridge with the New Testament, especially because we understand the Jesus part, right? We, that, that makes more sense, and we kind of read it that way. The truth is, we read the Old Testament. The Old Testament is actually the Jesus part, too, but it's hard, harder to find that. And we read it through the lens of, of, um, the, of Christ and the cross. But what are some of the differences that just, I mean, just, we don't, don't be afraid to name the obvious, but what are some, what are some of the differences that would make the Old Testament harder to understand? Okay. Yeah. So you got law. Law versus grace. Okay. What else? That's a cultural difference. Yeah, the culture gap is even wider than it. Okay. Just the time. I mean, their values were different. I mean, they're killing people all over the place. You know, like. Like that was okay. I mean, you just think, what in the world? And it's in the Bible. You know, it's just really, it can be really confusing. So, what else? The results of judgment in the Old Testament are violent. Yeah. Well, I mean, God looks, the personality of God often looks different, uh, doesn't he? So there, and that has a lot to do with law and grace. And, and we'll just, we'll just say, uh, uh, I don't know, we'll just say God. And we'll just, that's a, that's a big, big, day. God's not different. I'm not mean to say that God is different, but, but definitely our, because the covenants are different, um, and we'll talk about that, uh, our, our view of God, and our, our, the fear, proper fear of God is, is different. Anything else to sort of add to that? Just a lot of it. It covers a huge oh, span yeah, of like, yeah. I mean, the New Testament's what, a couple decades? Yeah, right? 60 years at most, and you've got like 2,000, 3,000 years, and, and, uh, and it's just, it is, you're talking about from creation all the way to, to who knows how long that is, 10,000 to 4 billion years. I don't know. So, um, so, uh, depending on who you ask, um, the um, so the river the river's wider, and so and so the bridge is is longer too. Um, the uh, the values and the the it's just so sometimes we it covers over three quarters of, of Christian scripture. The the Bible I mean the Old Testament is Christian scripture. That's our legacy. It's our spiritual heritage, and yet we probably spend less than twenty five percent of our time uh, in the Old Testament. Now, um, can oh I didn't bring Bibles, darn it! Uh, oh well, no, 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 that's okay. It'll take too long. So I'm just going to read First Corinthians 15, one through five. Now that's New Testament, First Corinthians. Um, this is what um, Paul is writing. So now I remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Now, this is God, This is Paul's message to to you as much as to the Corinthians. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance, this is a summary of the gospel. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. Why is that important? What's the phrase that keeps coming back? In accordance with the scriptures. So the New Testament finds so much of its meaning and its significance in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is our passage. Remember also the um, 
the uh, Jesus meets the disciples, the resurrected Christ meets the disciples on the road to Emmaus. You remember that, and in Luke, and and um, and he uh, he kind of plays dumb with them, you know, and he's like, "What are you guys talking about?" And and somehow they don't recognize him, and and he says, well, "You are you have you are you have been living under a rock?" And you know, yes, actually, I have three days. But um, the uh, um, the uh, hey, have you? He said, "Well." So they tell him about this Jesus, and they're disappointed because he died. And, and and then Jesus begins, and he says with the um, I'll just I'll just flip over to it just so I don't mess it up. But he says beginning with Moses, here here it is. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So all of scripture pointing to uh, Christ Jesus. Now it's uh, they couldn't have put it together the way that it that it came. And it's hard for us to put it together the way that it came. But if you are a Christian, the Old Testament is your spiritual history. And the promises of God, uh, the promises and the calling of God to Israel are your historical promises and calling. And failure to understand both the reason for and the character of the Hebrew narrative causes lots of us to read the Bible very poorly. Uh, even our own Mark Genelette, who's teaching opposite this class right now, and I'm actually very grateful that you had even come to this class. Um, he said, the Old Testament is our scripture it, because it was the authoritative canon of scripture while the New Testament uh, was being written. Um, so, uh, we should not avoid it. So, what is the law? The law, uh, when, Pete, when Jesus says the law and the prophets, well, the law, uh, what they're referring to is the Pentateuch, which is the first five books, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then all the historical narratives. So you have like First and Second Kings, First and Second Samuel, First and Second uh, Chronicles, uh, Judges, uh, and all the other really good ones. The um, <laughs> um, Joshua. Um, so, so uh, I don't really. I, I wish I had time for like an overview. But I'm gonna. What we want to talk about in the 23 minutes left is is um, how to sort of approach historical narrative and then within that how do you approach the law and the lists and, and all of that so uh, because you know let's just be honest we don't I don't there are parts of scripture that really seem I mean boring and archaic and and I just you know what I what I find about those is they're like food like I trust this is the word of God and there is a sense in which it is nourishing, but it's like peanut butter and jelly. I don't remember what I had to eat last week. You know, I just, I'm, boy, I'm sure glad I did. You know, I, I don't, I'm glad I ate, and it nourished me then. But I don't remember what I had. You know, it's not, it's not the one I'm going to talk about. There's some of it's just like Bottega. You know, like and you want to, you remember that, but, but, you, but, but then there's, there's just parts that you don't remember, and a lot of that in the Old Testament. The, um. The Old Testament, I, mean, I said, the, uh, aren't we glad that New Testament authors don't do the long lists anymore? That's how they distinguish chapters. And when they wrote the Bible, they didn't write you know, Exodus chapter 1, chapter 2, like that. They just wrote Exodus. And so the chapters and the verses have been added in later, like in the 1400s or something like that. Um, I think the guy was actually riding a horse backwards, as, as the legacy goes, <laughs> but this, the legend goes. But um, the... Uh, but the long list in the Old Testament times, that's how they separated their chapters. So when you come to a list, a chapter of like a million names that you can't even pronounce, 
um, then what you know is that that is the end of one important section and the beginning of another. And so, you know, I kind of skim through and see if I recognize any of the names. It's like, you know, seeing who, who you look in the venture, like anybody I know give to the memorials this week. You just kind of scan through <laughs> the names. And, um, you know, I can't, you kind of scan through it. And, and, and as you go through it a few times, you kind of, a few of the names, you, you recognize and it's a few of the names, you don't know anything in the world. Then you'll find Jabez, you know, the Jabez, right in the middle, or Jabez, however you want to say that in, in Chronicles. And I remember thinking, oh, that's where he, anyway, I don't think, I think he reads a little much into it. But, um, but so that's how the details of the names are less important. They're not unimportant, but they're less important to us. Uh, but use them as a heads up. So when you come to this long list, like in, in Genesis especially, um, they'll say, these are the generations of Noah. And then they'll list, you know, and, you, and as further you get into it, the more names there are to, to list. And, and when you see that these are the generations of, you know he's ending one section and beginning another. So right between the Abraham part and the Joseph part, there's a long list of names. Well, that's just, that's just kind of a heads up. You kind of, who do I know in there? And then, and then go, uh, go to the next, next one. So that's, that's, that's helpful. When I found that, I was in seminary when I heard that, and I thought, oh, gosh. That's it. I, was just, I just thought, I don't know, just took, I received that as sort of a relief. I just kind of know why they, why they did that. Um, now, the, the, we call this the Old Testament. And a lot of folks think that's really unfortunate. And, and some folks, even Christians, they, call it, they don't call it the Old Testament anymore. They call it the Hebrew Scriptures because that's, what it, that what it was, but but it is the word testament is actually the word covenant, and and so like when I when we're doing right one and we say um, we hold up the chalice and say this is my blood of the new testament which is shed for you it's actually not doesn't mean the it doesn't just mean the new testament like in in the back part of the Bible this is my blood of the new testament it's actually my blood of the new covenant it's the same word and so but we just kind of get that. The co- now, what is a covenant? A covenant is a, a long, it's, it's, you know, it's a promise. You think of marriage. It's a, it's a promise, two parties, one to another. Um, but we actually uh, don't think, we think of it in slightly different terms. A covenant in the ancient Near East was generally a legal agreement between a suzerain overlord, which means just, a, just like a, like a, you know, lo- the lord of the land, the, um, the, uh, the powerful, the, the powerful um, protector of the land and and then and, uh, and the vassals the servants and they and and the the suzerain the overlord would he uh, he would grant protection to the servants as long as the servants did what held up their end of the bargain and so when when um when they're looking for the old testament authors are looking for uh so, some are actually even you might say it like this that when god was uh finding a way to um speak to the people in a way that they understood he spoke to them in a covenant they understood this is the the overlord the the lord is is speaking to the servants uh, in a way now remarkably uh, you see different ways generally god is upholding both ends of the deal um when when he makes the covenant with Abraham, such, such strange sim, um, symbolism for us and that's part of the the distance here um when remember when um God is making the covenant with Abraham, and Abraham falls in this deep sleep, and the the um, animals are slain in two and slit apart, and the smoking fire pot goes through. Well, Abraham never walks down the middle, but that's how they that's 
isn't that strange? I mean, you get arrested for that now. You? But, um, but that's how they made a covenant. They would, they would cut the animals in part and walk through them. And the only one who walks through them is, is God, this sort of smoking fire. It's just very strange. And it's okay that it's strange. But God's really the only one who, who says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to uphold my end of the deal. And, um, and yet, that was, that was the deal. So in God's covenant with his people, it ha- uh, usually, usually the, um, the covenants in that part of the world, they had to do with you know, political and, and um, uh, po- uh, political military affiliations. You're going to pay your taxes and uh, things like that. And, uh, but in, in the covenant with God, what did it have to do with? It had to do with relationship. Um, you're gonna, it's religious affiliation. It's moral and ceremonial uh, affiliation. It's, it's relationship. It's, it's, I will be your God and you will be my people. And you will act like my people and I will act like your God. And God always acts like our God, but we don't always act like his people. And so that's why I called it legacy rather than history because that, that's the legacy. The, 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 the story of the Hebrew people is a, is a it's a metaphor. I mean, it's a true story, but it's a metaphor for us. It's a, it's a parable almost for us that we cannot and will not and refuse to uh, do what the Lord has uh, for us, even when we want to. We don't want to. And and it, it apart from Christ, pre-Christ, that's the way it's always going to go. But it's he the 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 basis to read the New Testament is covenant, God's commitment to his people and his people's commitment and uh, inability to follow their commitment to God. So, narrative. When you're reading David, David and Bathsheba in, in Samuel and Kings, you're reading um, Joseph and the story of uh, Joseph in Genesis, the meaning of narrative um, derives primarily from the actions of its characters. Now, rather than telling us how to live or not to live, the narrative shows us how to live or not to live uh, by the actions of the characters. The problem is the narrative doesn't usually say, this was really bad and you, the reader, should not do this. Um, the interpretation of whether it's a how-to or a how-not-to is sort of up to the reader. Uh, sort of common sense. Uh, I have a friend, a close friend, um, who was sort of in a spiritual crisis and decided, you know what, I need to read the Bible. Like, I just need to read the Bible. He started reading through, and he got to about Genesis 16. I think it's 16. You know what happens in Genesis 16? Anybody? 16. Nope, what, let's see. Maybe it's, anyway. Yeah, it's 18. So, eight, uh, 18 and 19. Abraham is, is confronted by the angel of the Lord. Do you remember this? He's confronted by the angel of the Lord. And he pleads with the, uh, the Lord. The angel of the Lord says, "I'm actually, I'm going to go. I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of what they have been doing." And Sodom and Gomorrah said, uh, uh, "I mean, Abram says, but what if there are righteous people?" And the angel of the Lord says, "Okay, if I find any righteous people, I'll, I'll, for I will save all Sodom uh, for that." And then Abram goes, "Well, what about 45 righteous people? What about 40? I don't know. Kind of like presses his luck a little bit." Well, the angel of the Lord goes on, and he stays with Abraham's nephew, Lot. And the people of Sodom see these angels come. And I don't know why they would, I don't know why they do that, but they're staying with Lot. And, um, and, uh, and 
And the men of Sodom come and bang on, um, on Lot's door and say, bring those men out to us because we're going to have sex with them. And Lot says, guys, you're, do not do this. He said, you better bring these men out to us so that we can have sex with them. And Lot says, I'll tell you what, i got two daughters, you can have them. And then, you know, my friend just said, what? I can't read the Bible. It's terrible. You know, like, um, it was a how not to, right? And he was actually, he was fulfilling what the angel of the Lord had said to Abraham. There are no righteous. And, um, and yet, God saves Lot's family because of his faithfulness to Abraham, not because of Lot's faithfulness. So you just got to kind of see what's going on. And you kind of you read it from 10,000 feet rather than in the details. And don't ask questions of it that it's not asking. It's not asking whether or not Abraham was right to be willing to sacrifice Isaac. Obedience was a foregone conclusion. And so it's not asking that. It's asking us, will we... How willing are we to obey the Lord? Um, and it's also demonstrating to us that God is faithful to the end, and actually, in that passage, God will provide a lamb. So, I, so I'm, I've switched, obviously, passage, but you need to ask the question, ask what questions is the text asking? And let's answer those questions, rather than, why would Lot have dared to do that? What a sleaze. He may have been. And wouldn't God then that highlight God's faithfulness? So, um, so the the um, the characters, the actions of the characters, um, is what gives the narrative uh, meaning. Um, now, just because the characters in the Bible do it, doesn't mean the Bible condones it, right? Abraham. Uh, so I talked about that. Um, David and Bathsheba. And we actually see really explicitly with uh, the prophet Nathan that um, that. Uh, that David was in the wrong. But but again, just because the Bible shows it doesn't mean the Bible condones it. God is always, here's another important part of that, as, you, as you're reading narrative, God is always the central character. He's, he's the character that matters the most. What is God doing in all of this? What is God doing uh, in all of this? Um, because they're not, these aren't just stories. It's the story. It's the overarching story of God's redemptive history. What is God doing this? How does this point to uh, Christ? How does this demonstrate our need for Christ? Um, These are theological histories. It's not not like you're reading your history book. It's not like you're back in school and you're opening up and you're just getting the facts. I mean, the the winners always write the history books, right? So... um, so you're getting the facts from that perspective. This is the; these are written from a particular perspective. It is not like we would have. We just want the facts, but this aren't just the facts. This is these are this is the story of what God did in the life of the people. Um, it is it is a written for a particular purpose with a particular bias to tell a particular people this particular thing that God made a covenant with the people and the people have not upheld their covenant. Um, and yet God remains faithful. And so we see that all that pointing. Remember we said that there's really only three ways that the Bible um, talks about Christ, and it all, everything either exalts Christ or describes our relationship to God and therefore our need for Christ or our relationship to God 
through Christ. So all of the Old Testament really describes our relationship with God and therefore our need for Christ. We see that in the story of Lot, in the story of David, in the story of Abraham, in the story of Solomon, and on and on and on. Um, we, uh, we see God's faithfulness and we see um, human rebellion. Um, there, there's really... You know, as you read these theological histories, there's, there's some similarities in how you'd read that and how you'd read the Gospels. Um, the, old, the Old Testament narrative comes in bigger chunks than, than the Gospels, but, um, but that's, that's, you, you read it as an understanding that it's a history that has, it has an angle, it has some, a, a message that it wants you to know. You want to stop me real quick? We've got a, a few more minutes before we get to the law. Any, anything else, any questions or Plow on. Um, you want to consider the plot when you're. Did, I, did my voice just crack? Plot. I'm just. Um, do you want to consider the plot? You want to consider the uh, the setting. You want to consider the characters. <laughs> my hikers are laughing at me out there. They uh, and the viewpoint of the narrator. Uh, narrator. The plot. You know, just the the internal conflict or the ex. Is it con- what is the conflict? Is it internal conflict. External conflict. It's nation against nation, or it's person against person, or it's man against God. What is what is the conflict uh, going on there, and how is that conflict uh, resolved? Um, what's the story about uh, here? You know, for Joseph, on and on. He, um, what what's the conflict? There's conflict between he and his brothers. There's conflict between he and uh, the people he's in, in prison with. He and um, the conflict with he and Potiphar's wife, and then you see that God uses all of that to put him in the position so that the family that he has set aside uh, to, to be the um, progenitors, the, uh, the ancestors of uh, the Messiah, so that they wouldn't die in the famine. It's pretty amazing. But it's all, what is going on there? So all the, the plot, the setting, what's the geography, what's the politics, what's the relationships like? And then the characters. Um, and the authors don't always give us all the details. Um, the way the way we fill in the gaps in our own minds affects how we understand the story. Um, for instance, you remember Uriah? The, Uriah is the one that that was married to Bathsheba, and and so does does Uriah know about the affair between D- David and Bathsheba? Is he or is he just naive and honest, or is he sly and indicting? Uh, my he's, he says well. I'm, I'm not going back home. My Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? Is he being really noble? Or does he know what's going on? And he's putting David in a really bad... We don't know. We actually... We, we are never told. And David is never told either. So that... that, that the characters... Uh, the, um, the, the viewpoint there... We're, uh, we're left in the dark intentionally because David is left in the dark. Um, now, the, the viewpoint of the narrator um, is re- the, the narrator is rarely explicit in conveying meaning and relies on the savviness of the reader to draw uh, conclusions. And again, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to, um, but we should again we we avoid asking the questions that other than what the text is asking. Um, you also want to look for like comparisons and contrasts. You might they might come over several chapters, and so it's good to kind of read in, read in chunks. Um, like for instance, it took seven years for Solomon to build the, the, this fabulous temple to the Lord. Seven years. 
took him 13 years to build a house for himself and his, his uh, Egyptian wife. A little note of irony there. What's really important to Solomon? So always let God be a central character. Let God be God. And, and, and don't get bogged down in the details. Um, but just re- read them sort of zoomed out. Read them at 10,000 feet. And um, remember, and you can find Christ there. I mean, there, you, can, you have incredible pictures of Jesus Christ. Um, Isaac, his dad is taking him, his father is taking him to be sacrificed. And Isaac is walking up the hill, carrying the wood on his back. Father, where's the lamb? Abraham says, the father says, God will provide the lamb. I need to draw it up for you. That is, I mean, it is so, it, I love preaching on that passage because God will provide the lamb. David, fighting before Goliath, one warrior fighting on behalf of the people against insurmountable odds. It's a picture of Christ. One person fighting on behalf of the people of God uh, against insurmountable odds and overcoming by the grace and the power of God. So there are lots of ways that you can see that. Now, how do you read the law? How do you read, when you get to Leviticus, here's the good news about the Bible in your, re, Bible in your reading plan. Leviticus takes one week. My, for my first um, year, I, uh, my first time I read Leviticus, it was in high school, I remember, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. I'm going to read Leviticus. And it only took me like eight months. And I, um, um, if you read three chapters a day, every day, it'll take you one week, and, and then you'll be done. Won't that be great? Okay, I'm going to read from Leviticus. Because this just sort of highlights um, how do we read the law? The distinction between moral law, civil law, religious uh, ceremonial laws. Here, uh, Leviticus 19, beginning with verse 18. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You shall keep my statutes. You shall not let your cattle breed with a different kind. You shall not sow your field with two kinds of seed, nor shall you wear a garment of cloth made of two kinds of material. Okay, those are right next to each other. (laughs) It's not always that just sort of weird and convoluted, but it just, it does. It goes back and forth. So there's a moral law. This is for you. Jesus highlighted this. He picked it up out of the entire law of God, the Mosaic law, and he said, this is the second most important thing in all the law. Love your neighbor as yourself. And right after that is don't mix your fabrics. And all of you are breaking that right now. So, um, the laws are given in the context of the narrative. Uh, and they should be read that way. Within the narrative, we see that laws are given in the context of covenant. And so... God promised to be faithful to the Hebrews and give them the means by which they could be faithful to Him and reflect His character uh, to Him. Now, how, why in the world would God say, don't mix your fabrics? Because what was so important to God and to God's people? Purity. Mm-hmm. And so there was, there was there, in every aspect of life, let's find a way to reflect the quintessential nature of God, even to the point of what we put on our bodies and put in our bodies and the way we set up our camp and the way that we build um, parapets around our roofs when we have a flat-roofed house, 
it, there was a law in the Mosaic law that you had to put a little wall at the top. Why is that? Because God cares about life. You fall right off. There was like another room in the house. They used that space. And so all the laws somehow reflect the character and the nature of God. And I can remember as a 10th grader, 11th grader, going through Leviticus and thinking, I'm so glad for Jesus. You know, like I just... Um, and we can still think that because we don't have to follow uh, those laws. These are not our laws. They are God's word to us. But the law has been summarized and given to us. The, the Ten Commandments, they're they're still binding. And yet what the law does is it demonstrates our inability to be like God and our need for a mediator. And so as you read three chapters on what lepers are supposed to do, you're probably not, you know, you're like, woohoo, I don't, I'm not going to break that one. You know, I don't have, that's not, that's not going to, I'm not going to, um, that's not a situation that we're going to find ourselves in. Please, Lord. But, um, but as you're reading that, why is that important to God? How does it reflect God's character? And how is it fulfilled in Christ? And there you can find at least some sort of, something to take home, even, even out of reading uh, Leviticus. The law demonstrates that God is holy. Define for me in the last 30 seconds of our class. Define holy. It's hard to do, isn't it? Set apart. Pure. Other. Holy is God-likeness. Now, God is holy because He's God. And anything that is holy is holy because it is like God. He is holy. He also happens to be good and love and just and all those things. Anything that is any of those things reflects his character. God is other. He is separate. He's set, set apart. Um, and so um, the law demonstrates his holiness and calls us to live holy lives. Uh, and in Christ we can and we and we should. But we don't have to in the sense that we will be punished because we have a new covenant. And so we read the Old Covenant through the lens of the New Covenant. That is as far as I can get. If there are other questions, I um, I can answer those next week. But any sort of off the off the top questions or thoughts? Or, yeah, Brad? Yeah, I really like your commentary on sort of the lens that you know, we read. And mm-hmm. The Bible through sort of asking the questions of what does this tell me about God? What does it tell me about Jesus? Mm-hmm. What does it tell me about myself? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's a lot harder in the Old Testament. Than it is. But, uh, yeah, if you don't if you don't come up with the answer, like that's really okay, you know. But what is this? They, asking the question, what does this say to me about the character of God, is an important thing. Almost all the laws are going to find them their root in the new in the Ten Commandments, in, in some way, you know. And so, um, and so that's a, that's a good thing to hold on to as well. So, good framework. Okay, go in peace. Thank you.